The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome. I say only twice because we have two guests today. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Business innovation is what it's all about. Interesting, we're doing part two of a topic we did on the live show on March 17th. And shout out to Jeannie Trin, the sponsor of this series. So our topic today is ABCs of social selling and building your global brand. Let me get started. The buzz, obviously, is social selling. So let's get down to nitty-gritty and talk about what this means. Studies show that B2B, business-to-business buyers, are 57 to 70% of the way through the buying process before they even have have a first engagement with your salespeople. Let me tell you that again. Between 57 and 70%. That means your prospects or your incoming returning customers are having a party, a learning feast, if you will, without you. What do they need you for? How are they doing it? Well, we know the modern buyer is digitally driven. They're socially connected. They're frequently, if not always, mobile. And I like a new phrase I just coined. They're happily empowered with unlimited access to all the information they need to make a buying decision. So what do they need you for? Well, this has an impact on your business. What does it really mean? It means your sales team has got to be up to date on all the social selling tools and techniques to cut through this noise and clutter. They need to build a personal digital brand so people know them, recognize them, trust them, want to engage with them. And guess what? Past the brand might have a little sizzle. They have to deliver the stake behind that sizzle on relevant social channels. Are they in the right place? Do they know the etiquette? Are they skilled in social listening? Are they carving the time in their business? schedule to be a social seller. If they're not, well, listen up. Of course, we have some experts on the show today. We have the experts to help us figure it all out. So I'm delighted to welcome back our first guest. It's Michael Idenopoulos. He is the Chief Marketing Officer of People Links. And I'll spell that in case you want to look it up. People, P-E-O-P-L-E, and then capital L-I-N-X, all one word. And Michael has sent me a quote that has multiple attributions. I found it all over the web. It's been attributed, it's been used in psychology manuals and psychology articles. It's been used in the education field, and it's even paraphrased by or from a quote from Steve Jobs. Here's the quote. Technology changes everything, dot, 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 and nothing. Let me say that again. Technology changes everything and nothing. Michael Lydonopoulos, great quote. Welcome back. How are you, Michael? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm terrific. It's great to be back. 
Thank you so much. It's been since March since we spoke, so you've been thinking about this, and, and we're revisiting our topic of ABCs of social selling and building your global brand. So tell me, technology changes everything and nothing. It sounds like an oxymoron, sounds like a contradiction. Why did you pick this for your opening quote? Yeah, so the reason why I picked it for my opening quote is I think it is applying more than ever to the world of sales. So uh, sales and the, the life of the salesperson is being disrupted by technology in a way that I suspect for most salespeople today, they haven't really seen in their lifetime. Um, a, all the things that you talked about, the fact that buyers uh, for the first time are going to the Internet rather than coming mm-hmm. to salespeople for information about the market, about competing products, about value propositions, even about pricing, um, the customers are finding all of those things uh, online through technology. So for a salesperson, that's, um, you know, that's a pretty dramatic change. Also dramatic change are, are, are the things that you talked about with respect to personal branding and reaching out and joining that, that um, learning party. I think that's a terrific phrase, by the way. Joining that learning party. Um, salespeople didn't have the opportunity to do that before, but now they can because of social media um, and because they can get their brand out there, their message out there, um, publishing directly to the web, which is a concept that a few years ago um, was unthinkable. Now it's commonplace. So that's the technology changes everything part, um, that buyers are using technology to access information differently, and sellers now have access to the market via technology in a way that they never did. That, that's the changes everything part. The changes nothing part is, guess what? Selling, at the end of the day, hasn't really changed, especially in the B2B world. Selling is still about making authentic connections between a buyer and a seller. It's still about not pitching, about um, delivering genuine value, about educating customers, about helping them make the right decisions, um, and about building relationships over, you know, over a career as opposed to just doing one-off transactions. The difference is, uh, salespeople now have a set of technology tools to help them do those things. And that's the way in which I say it changes everything and it changes nothing at the same time. Hmm, interesting. So the same principles, but more now than ever, Michael, if I may, you can't do the hard sell. You can't do the push. It's got to be a gentle or a wise or a friendly or a collaborative pull. They have to want to talk to you. You have to find a common meeting ground. Tell me something before we introduce our second guest, who is Phil Lurie, who's waiting patiently in the wings. Thank you, Phil. Uh, Michael, do salespeople get this? The sales force, I think, has we like to talk about, and some people hate it when I mention this, five generations working side by side in the workforce today. And I'm sure that multi-generation, what can I teach you? What can I learn from you? uh, Cross cross-teaching, cross-selling, a reverse mentoring, they call it. I'm sure that exists in sales. Are some of the, and please forgive me for this, the old dogs versus the young Turks, are, <laughs> are the old dogs, oh God, I shouldn't have said that. I know it's going to bite me. Are they um, are, are they having trouble with this idea that you can't just knock on the door and say, hey, I'm the fuller brush man. I got 12 brushes. What's going to work for you today? You can't do that anymore. Are the older people in the sales force bridling at this? Are they having trouble? Well, you know, we've done some research on that, um, and so I actually have hard numbers for you. What we discovered was that when you, um, when you ask B2B sales reps, um, 73% of them 
say that they see value in using social networks and social media tools for selling. So at least on an abstract level, they get the, they get the what and they get mm-hmm. the why. So they understand that part. Here's the really interesting thing. When you then follow it up with a question about do you feel you know how to do it, so the how mm-hmm. question, only 26% say yes. So mm. I think the short answer is yes, they get they, they know that they should be doing something, but most of them are saying, honestly, I don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm surprised that the number is as high as 26%. I really am. Yeah. I thought it would be fewer. Very interesting, Michael. Again, welcome back. A lot to talk to with you about. And let's welcome Phil Lurie, who is Mr. Patience right now, waiting so patiently. Phil is the Senior Director for SAP Global Customer Operations Tools and Technologies. And here is, I think this is a Phil Lurie original. Social engagement is the tip of the spear for our new digital economy. Your personal brand is a key component in your future success. Phil Lurie, welcome back. How are you today? I'm great, and uh, I'm really happy to be working with uh, you and Michael. And uh, Michael said some things that uh, I'm sitting here cheering, very quietly, but cheering. Uh, Well, now cheer out loud. Go ahead. Cheer out loud and tell me about this tip of the spear and how important personal branding really is. Anywhere you want to approach this, Phil, go ahead. It's yours. Well, let me first talk about what Michael was saying and add to, add to it. I, I have a couple of things that I might disagree with slightly, but uh, generally I think we're at 99% sync. Um, I think that uh, the, the changes uh, that we're seeing in the marketplace in, in the selling um, arena and how you sell is probably more of an evolution than a revolution. We like to think that the technology, introduction of new technology changes everything overnight. And I think that there's really more of an, a changing pace, an evolution. So some of the senior, um, that's the way I'll call them instead of old dogs, but some of the senior salespeople Sorry. have established, no, no problem, have uh, established connections and they have paths that they can go down easily. Uh, you know, in the old days, it was the uh, three martini lunch that went away a long time ago, probably in my youth, and now it's more of the, uh, the, the direct connections and maybe golf outings. But a lot of deals are still done uh, on a personal-to-person basis, and uh, your, your established you know, networks are, are uh, still there and still a, a very large percentage of sales in traditional companies. However, I think in generating new business and in the digital economy, when you're trying to reach uh, more customers, and, and in some big companies like my own, we're trying to move more towards the digital world and selling products in the cloud, uh, as we're talking about in, in this series. Uh, when you're moving to the cloud, products and services that were only available to big companies where they could afford on-prem equipment, on-premise equipment, uh, it now is available to smaller and mid-sized companies. And uh, those are different customers. So how do you reach those customers? And uh, now I go back into total sync with, uh, with what Michael was saying. I think that here, this is where your personal brand comes in, because you have to be out there as an expert or as a knowledgeable person so that when the customer has done his, re- his or her research and figures out what they want to buy and figures out that this is probably the right model and, and, and make and such, uh, they need to get pricing and they need guidance about how to actually make the purchase. And the 
the ideal of where sales is going to be is that the salesperson is your trusted advisor to help you best negotiate and navigate through the complexity of ordering complex systems. And uh, the, the, the trust factor uh, is, is uh, a, a key element of this. And as Michael had said, this is one of the traditional things. This is one of the things that never changed. Uh, a sale is still going to be a trusted advisor uh, and a customer who trusts them and uh, developing a, you know, a, a good deal that's a win-win situation. That's, those are the best deals. Those are the ones that are not one-shot deals. Those are the things where you're developing long-term customer relationships. So let me go back to my point and, and talk mm-hmm. about the, the tip of your spear. You yes. need to be found. And a good brand, which includes a good profile on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter and, and, and such, as well as you're starting to contribute to the social conversation uh, in social, on social media, Developing that reputation and brand is the way that the customer will, will, will find you, and you, you start developing your credibility. And I think that's where we, we see ourselves going. However, you know, the old methods uh, still are working, and I think we're going to see more and more of the new approach. So, the, you know, they have to live in harmony as we transition. Thank you very much, Phil. Very eloquently put, as always. Very interesting. I, I have to bring in, you two may have heard this. And by the way, a shout out to Kirsten Boyleau from SAP in Canada, who is listening. And she is now the sponsor of a brand new series called, wait for it, Social Selling with Game Changers. So this is a topic near and dear to Kirsten's heart. And she will be tweeting with us and for us at hashtag SAP radio. Um, very interesting to me that through... I want to mention my favorite French quote. I'll get to it eventually when I remember what it is. Plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. And I'm wondering if that's really another way of saying what Michael Adonopoulos just brought us. Technology changes everything and nothing. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And to Phil Lurie's point, it's still about people. It's still about trusting someone. It's still about the art of the deal. Oh, did I really say that? Yes, I did. So. (laughs) It's still about being the right kind of deal maker, deal enabler, trusted advisor. Is trust really the key word here in a personal brand building digitally today? Either one of you, is trust really what it's all about? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Credibility is based on, you know, it's, it's something that you build slowly and can destroy easily. So it's a very important commodity, and you really have to pay a lot of attention to it. So that would be the number one piece of advice I'd give to, to our listeners is that uh, be careful about that. Uh, one of the things uh, people have said about social selling, uh, and I thought this is, this is not original, and so it's a great quote, but you wouldn't go into a cocktail party and uh, start shouting. You would sort of listen to the conversations and try to join into, part, you know, into uh, the conversations by adding to it. Uh, when you get into social media, you should behave in the same manner, that you really, you know, should listen to, to, to what other people are saying. And there are people who tweet, uh, uh, you know, ten times a day and, and, and point out what they're reading for lunch. You know, that's not building mm-hmm. your credibility. Uh, that's volume. Uh, what's really more important is that when you're adding to a conversation and you're becoming a thought leader, that's when you're building credibility, and that leads to building a good personal brand. So uh, another hint, I hope. And and I have a question for both of you. Used to be we'd hear the phrase, trust me, 
Trust me on this. I'll take good care of you if you buy my product, if you buy my service. Trust me. If everybody is saying that, is that a phrase we want to not see in a personal brand today? Michael, let me toss this over to you. Do you not want to be the one on on LinkedIn saying, uh, trust me on this. I really know what I'm talking about. Is that a way to not build trust? Well, you know, trust is one of those funny things that um, the more you talk about it, the less you create it. Um, so, so a, pers- a person who says who says trust me is probably not a trustworthy person unless you otherwise have reason to think that they are. Trust is is something that we generate through our actions, through our deeds, not through our words. And one of the things that is, I think, quite powerful about social selling and social media in general is that you don't have to just take someone's word for it that they are a credible authority. You have a lot more information about a person than you ever did before. So, for example, let's suppose Phil is, uh, Phil is trying to cultivate me as a buyer. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm evaluating Phil uh, at, let's say, a trade show, I probably don't know very much about Phil. Maybe I'll ask around, see if anybody I know knows him, but I don't have a whole lot of information. In the online world, though, it's very different because I can go to, I can go to Phil's Twitter handle and I can see what he's been sharing what he's been talking about on Twitter. I can see who he's connected to. I can then go to LinkedIn, and I can look at his, uh, his, professional, uh, his whole professional resume and background. I can see where he's worked. I can see what jobs he's done. I can mm-hmm. see where he went to school, where he does volunteer work, whether he's active in his community, and there again, whether or not we know people in common. So, to me, trust in, in a socially networked world is a much more verifiable concept um, than back in the days when, you know, we just talked to somebody and, and we sort of had to pick up the phone and start calling friends to see whether the person could really back up their words with deeds. Very interesting. To your point, Michael, I, I remember something I, I'd love to quote here, and I'm not sure where it came from. Uh, oh, well, this one looks like it's from Alberto Luza. I'm not sure if he was the originator. If you're not on the Internet, you don't exist. And another way of saying that is if you do not have an online presence, you do not exist. And that's the way it is in business and in selling today. Would you agree with that, Michael? I, I certainly would. I'll give you one more quote from our friend Joe yeah. Raleigh, who was on the last show with us. You are what you tweet. Right. That's right. <laughs> Very clever. Jill knows how to put a phrase together, doesn't she? And we, we had hoped to have Jill join us today, but she was otherwise engaged. Thank you for that. Michael, uh, Phil, any comments on that before we yeah, go to what's um, in your cup today? Talk. Well, uh, before I get to what's in my cup, I, I'd like to add to what Michael was saying, uh, once again, uh, in, in, in agreement. Um, th- there's another factor, too, which uh, is um, recommendations. Uh, one of the things that LinkedIn does provide and some of the other media uh, allows is, uh, as part of your trust, is what other people are saying about you. And mm-hmm. uh, you can get that. And uh, not just you personally, but your brand. And uh, the whole idea of what your customers are thinking about you is very important. And uh, uh, all the reviews and the different sites that provide restaurant reviews and, and hotel reviews, and, and I can you know mention a whole list of uh, apps that do that, um, mm-hmm. And one of the problems, though, is people are becoming suspicious about it because uh, the uh, the sellers, the vendors, have become uh, very good at uh, making sure that they load uh, reviews, you know, in their favor. So you have to be uh-huh. careful about that. But that is one of the ways of, of uh, you know, making sure that you can trust uh, someone is really seeing what other people are saying about them, and the social media provides that. 
Now, in the old days, uh, pre-internet or pre-social uh, selling, uh, you would call friends and ask for references, and mm-hmm. I, you know, you would always, you know, check to, well, did you buy this product, or have you used this uh, carpenter, or you know, have you used this mechanic? You know, where where do I find a good auto mechanic? Uh, mm-hmm. That's where you know recommendations are really important, and uh, the internet is is just a way of doing it, as you said in the beginning, uh, faster and better, but still the same thing, uh, not changed. So um, I think recommendations are very important in building trust. And that was one of the, the, the points I, I wanted to, to add to it. Um, no. What's in my cup? Well, mm-hmm. I, I'm, drinking, I'm drinking black coffee today uh, because uh, it's finally getting to be fall. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm starting, <laughs> I'm in the East Coast of the United States, and I'm starting to miss, miss summer already. So I need something to warm me up and keep me going. So uh, uh, a cup of coffee. I but, still have uh, the air conditioning on at night because it's still warm here. Where are you, Phil? I'm in northern New Jersey by New York City. I'm in Great Neck on Long Island. It was still warm enough for, little, no, a little bit of air, but it's still a nice day out. And I have a question for you, Ed. But what kind of black coffee? Any special brand you love? Flavor? Actually, I like chock full of nuts. Ah, and is this a K-cup or is this the old-fashioned kind? Oh, drip, French press? I, or? I, I like the drip, drip brew. It's, uh, it's, I, I like it better than uh, any of the, uh, the store coffees, although I, I do like my Dunkin' Donuts, so... But, uh, okay, there you go, and, and and thank you for your correction before when I said old dog, and I think you, somebody said uh, senior, and I'll say seasoned, seasoned sales reps, seasoned professionals will use that, whether you put any seasoning in your coffee, I don't know. Michael, what are you drinking today? So I'm drinking a double shot latte from Ooh. La Colombe, uh, which is a, um, well, if you're in, in New York or Philadelphia, you probably know La Colombe coffee. Um, it's actually a local roaster that started here in Philadelphia and is expanding its empire. I believe it now has stores all the way from New York to D.C. Um, I, I love La Colombe partly because I think it's the best coffee on the East Coast, but also because um, Center City Philadelphia has a is undergoing a sort of a um, a tech startup renaissance and really mm-hmm. a, and a craft cafe uh, renaissance at the same time and I sometimes wonder if those two things proceed in parallel. Um, not sure which direction the causal arrow points, whether the the um, the caffeine results in the technology innovation or the other way around. But I'm I'm uh, I'm very excited by both developments. Interesting. My daughter, when she was a, a medical resident, lived in Center City in Philadelphia. I remember it very well. And one of the famous basketball stars lived. He kept a pad, a crash pad, down the hall from her. Once in a while, we'd see all these tall people with a lot of tattoos walking by. Very interesting. Is La Colombe, L-A-C-O-L-O-M-B-E? Is that where we're looking? Correct. I thought so. The official website of La Colombe Torrefaction, a world-renowned coffee roasting company. And uh, let's see, they have a, a place near the in Houston Street, New York. They've got one on near Prince Street in Soho, and they've got one in NoHo. Well, they're certainly taking New York by storm, aren't they? Very interesting. So if you want to know more, go to LACOLOMBE.com. There's a, a free tip for La Colombe Coffee. I have a question for both of you before we go to break. I know we're going a little long on our own. Opening, but it's such a good conversation. I hate to stop it. If if a salesperson 
gets on board with social, Michael and Phil, and their manager says to them, hey, you don't have an online presence. We don't have any digital trust and credibility for you. Do it now. Do nothing. Don't answer the phone. Don't go home. For the next three days, build your online presence. It's time to start your brand. So this person says, okay, and they go to their LinkedIn guru in the company. How do I build a LinkedIn profile? And the person says, well, you put down your last three or four jobs, and you ask people for some references, and you share good references about the people you used to work with, people you work with, maybe your customers. And so they do it. They start with a LinkedIn profile. And then you or I go and we hear about this person, this man or woman, and we go and visit them and they have a fabulous LinkedIn profile. But because it's so soon, nobody is following them. They have maybe three followers or 10 followers, not 500. And it's always 500 plus if it's more. Michael, what do we say about this person? Oh, they're a newbie. This is phony baloney. They just put it up yesterday. What are they trying to do? I can't trust them. What does a new profile do to you? Are you always going to be the new kid who doesn't have a long list of followers yet, Michael? Great question. And I have two thoughts on that. So number one yeah. is the good news is it's it's not hard to get followers. Um especially as you start to uh, to reach out and connect with people you know. And you can start in your own company. It doesn't have to be people from other companies. Start in your own company. Work your way out. Start with friends. Start with colleagues, people you work mm-hmm. with, people you have worked with, people you went to school with. Um, you know, getting up into a couple of hundred people is not that difficult. Um, so our, our friend the newbie doesn't need to stay a newbie for very long. But the other Good. thing is t- take heart in the fact that, Look, quality matters more than quantity. So, you know, a lot of people walk around bragging about their 500-plus connections, but the fact mm-hmm. is, especially on a network like LinkedIn, reach is, reach is much less important than relevance. Ultimately, mm. the value of a tool like LinkedIn is it's not just in the fact that you are connected to, the, to people and that you have a number on your profile that shows how big your, your, uh, your network is. The value of the network is that you start to have content steered towards you based on the people that you know and vice versa. So when you, when you connect with someone, you start getting automatic updates from LinkedIn when, for example, they have a work anniversary or they get a promotion or they switch to a new job. You start getting updates when you go to LinkedIn if they've published things using LinkedIn's blogging feature. Um, so the more relevant, the more you really know the people in your network, the more interesting and relevant and timely those updates are. And if you connect to a bunch of strangers just in order to get your numbers up, well, guess what? Those, relevant, those updates are not going to be relevant or interesting to you. And the whole thing, uh, the whole exercise um, becomes futile. So I, I like a small network. I like it smaller. I like it more relevant. To be perfectly honest, at times I go through and I will cull my network to make sure that I don't have a bunch of people in there that I don't really know. Fabulous advice. Phil Lurie, agree, disagree, raise the bar. What do you observe? I think I don't want to, uh, well, uh, agree and, and, and raise the bar a little bit. First off, um, when we do coach people uh, to start creating their LinkedIn profile, we don't we, we give them one very good piece of advice, or actually two good pieces of advice. The first one is it's not a resume. You're not looking for a new job. We're not, we don't want you to do that. We'd like you to stay with us. So make it a professional profile and not a resume. And what's different about that? Don't tout all your accomplishments. Uh, I made my sales goals for the last three quarters and made, made club. Don't, people don't want to see that. Talk about the customers. What do you provide 
to other people. How have you helped other people solve their problems? If you've solved problems for other people throughout your career, and most of us have, I mean, that's the nature of things, even if it's your boss you've solved the problem for, talk about what you've solved and the kinds of issues you've, you've encountered. And as a matter of fact, even failures uh, are, are useful because now when someone looks at your profile, they can say, yeah, I want to talk to this person. They've been you know, down the road that I'm about to go down, and maybe they can advise me. And that builds a little bit of trust, too. Uh, it, it's more important to talk about what's in the customer's mind than what you're trying to sell. Uh, that's a basic uh, of, of selling, to really listen twice and, and talk once. Uh, so we advise people to uh, make sure that their profile is set up in such a way that it's uh, not so boastful, but more of, you know, my, my, my role as a problem solver. The other thing is uh, there are a number of ways of building, building your network uh, that most people overlook. And one of the easy ways is actually going back to your, uh, your alumni friends and contacts and go mm-hmm. back to everyone you went to school with. Uh, because uh, in most places, uh, they've gone off into different directions. And uh, you might have some very interesting contacts that might not be in your industry, but people who knew you or knew you know, closely you know, with you. So going back to your alumni connections, that's very useful. People that you have in your personal network in terms of um, not necessarily your relatives, but maybe uh, they might be professionals as well, but uh, people that are in your social network in terms of volunteer work and things you do. So when you're creating your profile, and this is going right to our topic of building a personal brand, you don't want to just be the uh, the spokesperson for the company you currently work for. Uh, I include things uh, about my uh, interest in, in supporting children in in um, in, in social, uh, you know, in, who are now in the social system, the you know the mm-hmm. uh, the, the foster children, and mm-hmm. uh, I work with foster ch- children, and uh, I include that in my my personal profile, and that's the kind of thing that makes you a more well-rounded, more interesting yes. person. And that's the kind of thing that you want to see in your personal brand. So we encourage people to include uh, a lot on their pro- profile that might not be as professional. And uh, those, those are the kinds of things that make you a little bit more credible and more someone that you want to talk to. Authentic and human. And you brought something up, Phil. We're just about ready to go to break. I know it's half past, but this is just too good to stop. Uh, on uh, An hour ago on Social Selling with Game Changers Radio, and Kirsten Boylow is, is listening and tweeting right now. Thank you, Kirsten. We opened, I opened with, it was about social listening under the topic of social selling. Uh, I brought up a quote via Kirsten. We have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. Phil, do you happen to know how old that quote is since you just basically said it? You paraphrased it? I, if I remember correctly, that is Chinese. <laughs> no, it no, it's actually, it's from a Greek philosopher. It's credited oh, okay. to a Greek philosopher named Epictetus, E-P-I-C-T-E-T-U-S, who lived from 55 to 135 A.D. And the only reason I know that is because it's in my notes, which I just pulled up from the old, the old, uh, the show we just did an hour ago. And, uh, we opened the show saying this words of wisdom for life today, as well as great advice for social selling. And you just brought that up. So there you go. There's a little wow. bit of trivia. We can cross pollinate on both shows. Guess what? Michael Idenopoulos and 
Phil Lurie, are working so hard on this great conversation. Boy, did we pick the two right people to do a two-person panel today. I want to say thank you to both. I'm going to give them just a little bit of break to take a sip of whatever La Colombe and that uh, that black coffee that Phil is drinking, the old drip kind. We're going to go out for a quick break, and when we come back, Michael's going to help me. Well, we're going to restart the roundtable because we basically are already in the middle of it. We're going to talk about random acts of social. If anybody hasn't heard that, Michael will explain, and we also might just veer off into a little bit about Michael's TEDx talk, Mr. Manager, Tear Down These Digital Walls. I love that. Let's find out what that was all about. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, privileged to be speaking with Michael Idanopoulos at People Links, one word, L-I-N-X, and Phil Lurie at SAP Global Customer Operations. We'll be right back, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael at the Business Channel, out! Business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy. To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision-making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with their customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources, and they must make this simple. Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. Business Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Business Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to business innovation with Game Changers. Here we are. We are talking about the ABCs of social selling and most important, building your global brand. Are you online? Do you exist? Do you have a presence? Are you authentic, genuine, human, trustworthy? So many things you need to not just aspire to, but put into practice. You need to be there the right way in the right places. Our experts today are Michael Idanopoulos, the Chief Marketing Officer at PeopleLinks, P-E-O-P-L-E-L-I-N-X, one word, and Phil Lurie, Senior Director of SAP Global. Global Operations Tools and Technologies. They both know what they're talking about. Michael, let's continue. I usually say let's start. Let's continue our roundtable because we have been going around and around. The two of you are really chiming in with such great advice. This is like a primer or maybe people say primer. I like primer. I hate the word primer. Uh, of, of how to do it, how to build your global brand. So, Michael, let's talk about something you call random acts of social and you say it is not a strategy. So first define it and then let's build on it. Michael, please go ahead. So when you talk to sales managers and you ask them, do your, do your reps use social selling? They'll often say to you, oh, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Well, I know Bob over there does and I know Sally has a LinkedIn profile. Um, and what they're really saying is, well, we don't really have a strategy. We don't really have a coordinated approach. We don't really offer much in the way of guidance. But we do have people who are on LinkedIn, and we think they're doing good things there. And I call that random acts of social because what's really going on there is that you're leaving it up to the individual sales rep to figure out 
which tools they're going to use and how they're going to use those tools. Mm-hmm. Now, ordinarily, I would say, well, there's nothing wrong with, you know, letting a thousand flowers bloom, except that every sales manager knows that the key to successful sales, especially in the enterprise, is consistency, repeatability, measurability. Because without those things, you don't really know what's working. You don't really know what's not working. And you can't take the successes and replicate them across the organization. You don't get the scalability that you need. So random access social is something that you want to, well, I don't say you want to avoid it. It is a necessary first step. Mm-hmm. It is an experimentation phase that is a necessary first step to getting to where ultimately uh, a mature sales organization needs to be, which is that social is just part of the standard sales process that every rep knows how to use uh, and uses with, uh, with a high degree of consistency and measurability. Thank you. Phil Lurie, thoughts? Yeah, uh, it's, it's great, Michael. I, I, we... I have to speak about the company I'm working with, uh, but we are looking at, at, at changing uh, the way people go to market. And as you're saying, uh, we have to sort of make a philosophical change. And as we mentioned, uh, or as we spoke about earlier, the uh, the, uh, the change isn't you know just a, a cliff that we're reaching. We we really have to do it more gradually. So we have time to to roll out training, and we really want to formalize uh, social selling training, not just to provide people with uh, Sales Navigator, the enhanced LinkedIn tool, but also provide training. And the training is first of all uh, how to build your personal brand, and then how to participate in in social media appropriately, like we were talking about before. So there's more of a program that we use to try to get people more up to speed with what to do. So uh, we don't want it to be so random. We want to make it more uh, systematic. So we're kind of following your advice, actually. Um, and uh, we're finding very good results in that. We've got numbers to, to prove that uh, what, what you've heard about and what Bonnie quoted at the beginning of uh, our talk uh, those numbers are, are also reflected by our internal measurements. So we're seeing that people who are more socially active are being more productive and bringing more revenue into our company. So there's a really good cost justification for doing this. So we're spending a lot of time and effort and thought into our training programs. We're you know, starting with what LinkedIn uses for training, and we're, we're adding to that our, so, our own. And we're also looking at tools to enable people to do it more uh, effectively. So, for example, the social listening, which Kirsten is an expert in, and uh, mm-hmm. how we incorporate that into a whole program. Because people are busy. Salespeople have goals and, and um, quotas to accomplish, and now we're asking, asking them to take on a new approach. So we have to get them you know, gradually upgraded to the newer approach while they're you know, spending less time in the old methods and more time in the new methods. So uh, we're looking at how you make a transition, and being an agent of change requires patience and understanding and uh, a little bit of uh, cattle prod every once in a while. (laughs) Oh, what a picture word. Thank you, Phil. I'm going to move this ahead. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about seasoned and people in the sales force who are used to doing it the old way and part of building a personal brand, part of the advice we're getting today from Michael Adenopoulos and Phil Lurie is how to get on board, how to get up to speed, how to be authentic, trustworthy, credible, all those wonderful words. But let's talk about the old methods. Phil Lurie, I'm looking at your notes and we can't finish the show without 
these comments from you. This is, I don't know whether it's provocative, incendiary, or just the damn truth, but let me just say what you wrote in your notes, and then I'm going to have you defend this. You say, direct email and telephone campaigns are increasingly regarded as spam attacks that can do serious harm to your reputation as a salesperson, as a trusted advisor. Let me add one more sentence. You say, with customers already knowing what they want before they talk to you, it is essential that you be found when they are ready. Your personal brand enables this. Phil, let's dissect this. So important. Really, direct email and phone campaigns are spam. Even one call, even one email with an opt-out. Talk to me, Phil. Uh, we're finding uh, in our trainings uh, when we meet with people who are a lot of people in the field in different countries uh, that uh, the response is, one of the reasons people are so positive about social selling is they're finding that the methods that they used to use even last year uh, don't work. We have um, one of the traditional methods of, of uh, hosting a, a, a reception with lunch and having you know, speakers come to it. And uh, in a few cases, we've uh, sent out invitations to a large number of, of potential clients. And uh, we found that the response rate was higher for people saying, take us off your mailing list than it was, yes, I'm interested in coming to your program. And this is an offer for a, a nice lunch in a nice place with, with reputable mm. speakers. So we're finding, you know, that was just one anecdote, but it's occurred several times. We're, we're finding in our field, you know, going out worldwide, that that is becoming more of the issue. Now, I work out of a home office, and during the course of the day, I probably get 10 to 15 calls from auto dialers, robocalls. And uh, people are getting that all the time. And we don't want to be regarded as someone who is a robocaller. Now, I mean, a few, you know, emails, and if you use social networking correctly, you, you're, you're being more, you know, more human, humane. So the, the image that you do not want to have is being that robot. And bulk emails, non-personalized, are just death. And they really do re- ruin your reputation. And uh, the, uh, the findings are pretty clear about that. And you don't really have to go far to find people who will support that. The... Mm. Uh, the other aspects of it, you know, building your brand also means that when someone does find you, and that's the whole idea of building the brand, is that when people are doing their searches and you do show up, as we were talking about before, mm-hmm. when they ask you questions, you need to be knowledgeable. Now, in a company like ours where we have a large uh, array of products and we traditionally have experts who provide sales support, that is now really essential that when a customer contacts you that they're interested in talking about your product that you can respond rapidly and accurately with the exact information that they want because that's what they're expecting and the traditional methods don't support that as clearly as what we need to do so the the dynamic or the (laughs) incendiary thing that I'm mentioning (laughs) is I think we need to retool how we train our salespeople or what kind mm-hmm. of tools we provide them so that when a customer asks them a question about a product that they might not really be that expert in, they can get the expert advice immediately and, and, and maintain their credibility. With you, and this is going back to the traditional, if you lose your credibility, you're probably going to lose the sale as well. Mm-hmm. Michael, join us. Thoughts? Well, I think I agree philosophically with what with what Phil is saying. Although I, I think I would probably position these different channels maybe as a as an 
an and rather than an or. So okay. I, I don't see it so much as, you know, email is dead, uh, phone calls are dead, um, it's all about social now. And I know, Phil, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm exaggerating. That's not really what you said. I would say dying instead of dead. How about that? Expiring. I could sign up for dying. Um, mortally wounded. Yeah, I, How about that? <laughs> <laughs> expiring. I expiring. I like that. Go. Okay. I think, these, I think these channels, when used effectively, can support each other extremely well. So one of the things we see, I mean, you know, in our own business at People Inks, we still use email, we still use phone call, and of course we use a lot of social. And what we find is that when, <clears throat> when we're able to engage someone effectively in any one of those channels, the other channels are very powerful in supporting it. So we will have someone who, for example, both responds to an email and interacts with a tweet and follows the company on LinkedIn um, and connects to some of our salespeople on LinkedIn. So you get a kind of a virtuous circle that gets reinforced across all of these different channels. Now, the part that I absolutely agree with you 100% on is, you know, robo-dialing, um, spammy emails. I mean, any time... Um, you are reaching out to, uh, to a prospect and you're not delivering value. I think you're on shaky ground. Although, frankly, I think you're on shaky ground regardless of what channel you're using. So whether it's email, phone, or social, if your message is, hey, look at me, look at me, buy from me, buy from me, Nobody's going to want to hear that, and I don't. I don't care whether you're, you know, whether you're using social or or, or two cans with a string in the middle. Nobody <laughs> wants to get that message. Well, Phil? I'm in agreement here. Absolutely. Um, no, I would. I would go along with uh, that. Uh, the you know, as I said, it is a transition um, from from the traditional. Uh, but the one thing we can learn is if you are sending out uh, bulk emails, as, as you need to do still, uh, just be very careful about what they are and not so much uh, boastful, but uh, thinking about what the customer is might have in mind. You know, what kind of problems do you have and, and, yeah. uh, and how we might help you solve your problem, but not, hey, I've got a push cart full of these things that you should buy uh, because I have them, which was probably the old, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, the old... Uh, uh, salesman with the wagons back in the uh, the old days in in like in Oklahoma, <laughs> the, right. the movie right. or the play in uh, movie, you know the uh, uh, or the uh, you know we need to really sell what people are looking for in terms of answering problems and solving issues. So it's not selling products but selling solutions, and that really is the, the new trend. I mean, if you've got an automotive problem, you probably need to get a car that does end up in a, in a, in a product at some point, but you do. You know, have to address what the issue is because you know maybe the person you know in a few years maybe people will be able to use Uber and those kinds of services and not even need a car and maybe you don't yep. want to buy a car maybe your need is transportation so you really have to take it at the higher level and um, those those are more general so if your emails are written properly you're addressing the question and not uh, not focusing on the free lunch perhaps I, so uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on that point that you know you do have to use the old methods but you really have to focus it and what we're learning is you know even in in using the old technologies uh, you still should take what we've learned from the new technology that what's going to be more effective is going to be customer focused as opposed to vendor focused mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Michael? No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I would, I would add a further distinction, which is I do think that when you're talking about these different channels, the role of marketing versus sales is an important distinction because it, it is still, in my opinion, it is still appropriate for marketing to, um, to put out messaging that is, I don't want to say generic, but a bit, perhaps a bit more universal. I think when people realize that, that messaging is coming from a brand, they understand that, you know, it's, um, it is marketing messages and the brand is speaking from, from a brand standpoint. Obviously, people mm-hmm. expect a certain amount of, of personalization to them. Otherwise, it's, it's sort of falling on deaf ears. But, um, but a brand can be a little bit less personal. I think that when you're talking uh, at the level of sales, now you're talking about an individual who is ideally interacting one-on-one with other individuals. And at that point, you need to be hyper, hyper um, specific to the needs of that individual. So I think one of the things that is um, one of the things that's really annoying about robo-dialing and emails from sales is that they, they pretend to be personal. Mm-hmm. when in fact they're utterly impersonal. This person clearly knows nothing about you, has nothing in common with you, has formed no point of, of, of commonality with you, but is sort of pretending to be your new best friend because clearly they want to sell you something. Um, and I think, again, from the standpoint of sales and going back to what we talked about at the top of the hour, trust and relationships, mm-hmm. um, that's really the dynamic we're trying to change. And, and Michael, doesn't it all come down to, and Phil, we talked about trust and credibility and humanity and authenticity. Doesn't it come down to we want somebody to care about us when you're buying something? You want somebody to care about your success, you're the customer. Come on. You have a job or you have a company. Your goal is to succeed just like everybody else's. You want somebody you do business with who's selling to you to care about your success in a genuine way. Isn't that what it really comes down to? That human? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, consulting is a, oh, a good consultant. Uh, now you're being a sales consultant in particular, but a good yeah. consultant is more interested in the customer's success than their own. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a very successful, if I may say so, consultant for a number of years, and my clients came back to me because uh, my job was not to, to do a great job and, and make myself a, uh, a partner of their company, but uh, to uh, make them, the people who hired me, look good and make them um, be mm-hmm. you know successful, and I think that's what we really want to do. And, and it's a win-win situation. It's not one or the other. And I think that uh, we we really would support that going forward. That it's got to be uh, a good deal. I mean, the the deals that are best are a fair price and not gouging. And uh, a fair price means that both the customer is getting good value for their money, and the vendor is making a reasonable profit to support their business. So that that's the best deal, and of course, you know there are quick wins, and there were stories today about uh, some of the new the pharmaceutical companies boosting the prices of a particular orphan drug from thirteen dollars and fifty cents to seven hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, I think that kind of ooh. price gouging is, is unconscionable, and I don't think oh. it's sustainable. But um, what we need to do in, in in making good deals is is to figure out how both sides are going to benefit, because that's a long term a reselling that's agreement. Right. 
That's right. And the product or service should work. It shouldn't have to be put in the lemon lemon law pile 10 minutes after you get it. I have a quick question. We're almost at the end of the show, and I want to give you each a minute for predictions, crystal ball. But, Michael, I want to just pick up one more point here from your notes. I think it's very important for our listeners to learn. You ask, which social network should you be on? And the answer is the ones your customers and their customers are on. But quickly, there's so many to put in the mix. Does a company... Big or small, startup or, or entrenched, does, should a company have its own social selling strategy so that a new salesperson coming on board or the ones who are already there in the, in the pen, should they be told, we want you to spend 50% of your time on LinkedIn, we want you to spend 25% of your time on Twitter, we expect these many contacts in the first month you're on board, and this is how we want you to structure the mix, or should it come from each individual sales rep structuring their own brand? Quick Michael, I'll give you 30 seconds for an answer, please, or one minute. Go ahead. Great question. I think the answer is absolutely yes. Companies should have a social selling strategy, Mm. and I think they should at least give guidelines. Look, it's like any other sales management task. If you try to manage sales reps down to... You know, every the dotting of every I, the crossing of every T, you're only going to insult, annoy, and offend them, and they'll tune you out. But if you give them broad guidelines that are useful for them, that clear up doubt and uncertainty in their minds and help them guide Mm -hmm. their attention to valuable activity, um, then absolutely they'll do it. And, um, yeah, I think that's a – I give that a clear thumbs up. Okay, and quick before, well, I'm going to go right now to Crystal Ball, but Michael, I didn't give you a chance to talk about Mr. Manager, tear these digital walls down. So please tear down these digital walls. Please give us just a 30-second overview. What was that TEDx talk about? And then give me one minute of predictions. Michael Adenopoulos, PeopleLink, go. Sure. So the uh, the TEDx talk was uh, an observation that when you walk into many offices these days, especially more innovative companies, you see open floor plans. The Mm -hmm. desks are open, people are out, they're working in public, and people have kind of gotten over their fear of not having a private office. They've embraced that that openness and the ability to cross-fertilize, cross-pollinate is Mm -hmm. part of uh, effective work environment in kind of high-change, high-innovation industries. But when you look at our digital lives, a lot of people spend a whole lot of time in emails, and saving documents on private hard drives. In our digital lives, shockingly, paradoxically, uh, we tend to be much more, uh, much more isolated and much less social and collaborative than we are in our physical work environments. And so what, the, what I talk about in the, in the TEDx talk, which you can find on, um, uh, on YouTube, yes. is how collaborative technologies like the ones that we're talking about, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, as well as internal collaboration technologies, can take us in the digital world to the same level of openness and transparency and cross-pollinization that we've already adopted in our physical work environments. Thank you, Michael. Now I'll give you uh, 45 seconds for your predictions. How far in the future do you see in the crystal ball? What will be different about this conversation? The ABCs of social selling and building your global brand. Oh, yeah, 45 seconds. Go. Oh, boy. I think if we're, well, if, when we're having this conversation a year from now, I think Mm -hmm. that 
Number one, we will spend very little time talking about why this is important because everyone will know that it's important and talking about the why will seem like we're, um, like we're answering questions that, that everyone already knows the answers to. I do think, however, that we're going to be spending probably the next at least two to three years talking about the how, talking about how salespeople can use these tools and technologies effectively to boost the bottom line. I think we're going to be talking more than ever about measurement, which is going to move into center stage. And I think that we're going to have more companies like SAP and the work that Phil Lurie's doing who have hard metrics that they can show that demonstrate that this is, um, is no longer optional uh, for the modern salesperson. Being effective on social networks is becoming a sales necessity. Thank you. Well put. As always, I expected nothing less. Phil Lurie, uh, I can give you 45 seconds too. Predictions, go. Um, a couple of things that I think will be happening over the next few years. Uh, first of all, I think right now we have a few players in the market of social media, LinkedIn being probably the lead for social selling. And mm-hmm. uh, there was an announcement a while back that other companies such as Facebook were planning to provide uh, professional channels, you know, Facebook for Business, I think they were going to call it. I expect that we're going to be hearing more from them. So there'll be other tools and technologies that we're going to be hearing from. The second prediction is that um, along what Michael was saying, I think there's going to be a much tighter integration between tools that are social selling and CRM systems because uh, right now, you know, I can build my social network and I can reach things, but to find out uh, the synergy between what we've sold people and what they might be interested in buying uh, and having the history about a customer is also important, and that's not available in the social media channels. So when you start combining that information, uh, that becomes very, very important. So integration of social selling and uh, CRM systems or whatever we call them, uh, you know, CRM might be the next, you know, it might have another name, but the, mm-hmm. what we're using to, to keep track of sales forces and, and to uh, manage customer relationships and keep, keep that process moving forward, uh, as well as forecasting and the whole integration to the back-end office, I think you're going to see a lot, much more of that uh, happening in the future. Thank you, Phil. Perfect timing. Phil, Phil, we're out. We're out. We're out. That's it. We're done. So much more to talk about. Ask Jeannie to invite you back. But, Phil, you're already coming back on this topic with Kirsten in a couple weeks on social selling with Game Changers. Michael Idenopoulos, People Links, thank you so much. Phil Lurie, SAP. The two of you were wonderful. What a great two-person panel. I couldn't imagine what else we could have covered. It was a packed hour, and I'm so appreciative to both of you for coming to the table with so much expertise, and I love when you challenge each other. Ooh, that was so much fun. I'm Bonnie G. Graham. I wish all of you, if you're celebrating the high holidays this week, I wish you what we call an easy fast. We'll just leave that one there for our global listeners, and we will see you soon on another live edition very, very soon of Game. Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. So here's my call to action. Oh, you know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Shout out to Michael and the Business Channel team. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Innovation with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.